All right, well, I get to share a one-part message tonight called Experience, and uh, we're going to start things off a little bit differently today. I saw something this last week that I thought was just so much fun and so funny that I wanted to share it with you, and I thought about telling you about it, but I figured, well, how much better just to have them experience it? And so I got to set the stage for this because it's a little bit different than what we normally do. So my daughter Bryn, in her school this past week, her whole class was given different topics and they had to kind of debate on these different topics. And so Bryn created this entire presentation that she was given the, the, the topic about. And the topic was this, why pools are better than jacuzzis, okay? So this was the incredible topic that she was handed. And she created this whole presentation and she did this for us, my wife and I, in, our, in my den, and I thought, this is just awesome. This is wonderful. I have to share this. And so I need you guys to turn for a few minutes into basically a telemarket office, or, or, or not a telemarket, yeah, yeah like, like uh, infomercial, that's the word, an info, infomercial audience, just for a few minutes, and we're going to need some crowd participation here, and I'm going to ask my daughter to come and tell you why pools are better than jacuzzi. So please welcome Bryn Jansen here. Oh, over here. All right. Here she goes. Here she goes. Do you like to go in the pool? Well, there's a new store that just opened up across from Pool City called Jacuzzi Kingdom. Sure, they seem innocent for now, but soon they will run Pool City out of business. Do you really want that to happen? I think not. Well, with your help, it won't. So we all know how when you go in the pool, you can play games, jump, swim around. But in a jacuzzi, you just sit there being wet, sticky, and bored. You're not doing anything. And there's no room to move. Like, you can't play Marco Polo in a jacuzzi. That would not work. Second, pools or jacuzzis are very dangerous, especially for kids. Because they could think, okay, I have like a miniature pool in my backyard. And they might not realize that it's hot, so they go in the backyard and then it's too hot, so they could get burned. Or if your friend's like, dude, do a cannonball. So <laughs> you do a cannonball, you could break your legs, and that would be very dumb. <laughs> Third, I'm pretty sure all of us say like we were in a spelling bee or taking a spelling test would rather spell the word pool than jacuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't have a pool, head on down to one of our stores. Or if you're too lazy to do that, just call 555 Five, 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 one. I bet you thought I was going to say five. (laughs) And like we say down at Pool City, with every pool comes a splash and a memory. I hope I have convinced many of you to realize why pools are much better than jacuzzis. But my job isn't just to convince you. My job is to take back our pools. No more jacuzzis. No more jacuzzis. (laughs) Say it with me. No No more more jacuzzis. No No more (laughs) jacuzzis. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> so, so Bryn performed this for Kelly and I. I thought, I have to share this with the people. And I thought about just telling you about it. Then I thought about acting it out and getting a wig, and I shot that down real quick. And then I said, Bryn, would you come and would you actually perform this for everybody? And the whole point of it is because it's one thing to hear about something, and it's another thing to experience it, right? And I thought, as I was thinking about talking about this whole, this is like my last time from this stage doing a, a full message because next week we're doing this big kind of celebration. The whole full-time staff will be involved. And so I was thinking, man, what would I want to talk about in my last kind of full message from this stage? And it was about experiencing God for yourself. Like I said, it's one thing to hear about something. It's another thing to experience it. And I kind of thought I had my message for tonight already planned out a few weeks ago. But as Andrew was speaking last Sunday night, I I realized, wait, I know exactly what I have to talk about this week. I have to talk about how important it is to experience God 
for ourselves. Why do I think that that's what I should talk about today? Because this is the building where I experience God. This is the place where I first had my own personal experiences with Jesus. And I guess, you know, kind of leading up to my life here, I had gone to a great church. I had learned a ton about God. I had a ton of knowledge about God. I had gone to Bible school. I had learned how to read God's Word and teach God's Word and all that kind of good stuff. But it was here that I experienced God for myself. It was here in this building that I learned that God speaks, that God heals, that God provides, that God heals relationships. And so I just kind of want to ask you a few questions. Have you ever experienced God for yourself? Has it been a while since you've experienced God for yourself? If there were some way that you could experience God in an up-to-date way, what would it be? How could you seek God for a new experience in him? That's kind of what I want to talk with you about tonight. Now, there's tons of things that get in the way of experiencing God. Like, there are a bunch of barriers. One of those barriers is just the difficulties that we face in life, you know? Like, I will be honest with you. In this past year, or I guess nine or ten months of my wife being so sick, there have been several times where I have kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, God, I have prayed every prayer I know how to pray. I've done everything I know to do. I've asked you in every way I know to ask you to heal her and to make her 100% whole. And through this process, though obviously she's gotten a lot better than she was, not kind of seeing that final like clincher, like, yes, she's whole, has been really discouraging at times. And sometimes those difficulties and those disappointments that we experience when we go to God kind of become barriers to experiencing God in the future, you know? And I would guess some of you guys in the room, if not all of us, have asked God for something at one point or another, and it hasn't come through, and that has discouraged us from pursuing him for a new experience in him. So sometimes that can be the thing that gets in the way. One of the things that actually I think for us older people in the room here tonight is that as we get older in life, some of us lose that passion to experience God. That's something that I see in myself. That when I was young, early 20s, man, there was such a desperation in me to experience God. There was such a hunger and a passion. And I think some of that just is because when you're younger, you have more energy and you have more passion, you know? I mean, if I took my nine-year-old's energy and bottled it, I would be the most wealthy person alive. Like, even in his sleep, he's like twitching. Like, he's always moving, you know? And so, uh, as you get older, you lose some of that energy, you lose some of that, lose some of that passion, you know? But that shouldn't stop us, older people in the room from continuing to seek God. Now, it's not just about age of life. It's also, I think, about age of faith. Some of us have been Christians a really long time. Even some of you guys who are young here tonight, you've been Christians, you would say, for like 15, maybe even 20 years, some of you guys, even though you're maybe just in your early 20s, right? And the reality is, is that I think as we get further along in our relationship with God, sometimes we can kind of sit back and go, okay, I've already experienced God. I already know he's there. So I don't really need like an up-to-date experience with him, you know? Like I think when we're early on in our relationship with God, we're desperate to experience him because it's kind of like either I have to figure out if he's there or not, you know? But as we get older, I can see this in myself. As I get older, I'm like, oh, I know God's there. There's no doubt. I've experienced him. But does that then maybe not drive me as much then to experience him again now in my life in an up-to-date way? I think another thing that kind of becomes a barrier in our relationship with God and experiencing him, is some of us just kind of feel like we're just kind of too ordinary to experience God. You ever felt like that? Like, you almost believe the lie that experiencing God is for like the really super special, like super holy Christian people, and not you, and not me. What about this lie, that we're just kind of too rough around the edges to experience God, you know? Like, why would he let us experience God with kind of the mess that we sometimes are in our lives? And so here tonight, 
I kind of want to just address all this and encourage us to push past all of those barriers and say, no, I need an up-to-date, fresh experience with God. I think experiencing God is actually the key to many things. I'll give you a couple examples. I think experiencing God is the key to faith in God. In fact, let me say it this way. Experiencing God ignites faith in God. Now, this is really good news because some of you here in the room are really struggling with your faith right now. Some of you in the room, you don't know if God is there, or some of you guys are pretty sure he's there, but there is something in your way. There is some kind of a situation that is way bigger than you. I think sometimes as we're wrestling through these kind of big, huge mountains in our way, it's like, okay, I know God is there, but do I have the faith to like really get past this? And and when we experience God, it gives us fresh faith for that next mountain that we have to face, you know? I think another thing that it helps us do, I think another kind of way kind of is a key, is experiencing God is a key to obeying God, right? I'll say it this way. Experiencing God ignites obedience to God, right? If you're here tonight and you are struggling to obey God, there's some area of your life you're just having a really hard time kind of surrendering to God and saying, okay, God, I want to give this to you. Maybe you know like God's calling you to put something aside or to do something, and you're sitting there going, man, I'm just really struggling with following through with this. I'm telling you, when you experience God and the goodness of God, it makes you want to do what he wants you to do. And you begin to say, oh, man, not only do I know God wants me to do this thing, but I want to do this thing because I've seen how good he is. I've seen how much better he is than following all the other things and all the other options that are out there. I think another key that we find here is experiencing God is the key to loving God, right? And again, I'll just say this way, experiencing God ignites our love or our passion for God. And maybe for some of us, it's not even that it ignites our passion, but it's that it's going to reignite it. Anybody in the room here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in the room here ever feel like you don't love God? Like maybe there was a a certain season in your life where you just really love God, where there was such a passion, almost like a fire in your heart for God. And you look back at that time, you're like, man, I don't have that right now. I'm telling you, an experience with God reignites your passion for God. It reignites that love for God when you experience him. And so tonight, I want to talk about this incredibly important topic of experiencing God, because I think it's so vital, especially for so many of you guys. I mean, we have a ton of you guys who are younger, who are in college, who are young professionals. We have some of you guys who are in high school tonight. And man, an experience with God will literally set your life on a different course. Like that certainty that he's there, that certainty that he's with you, that certainty that he loves you can become this driving force to lead you forward like never before. And so I think experiencing God is so incredibly vital. And so I kind of want to talk about this here tonight. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to say, what if this God that we're talking about here tonight, what if he answers when you knock? Like what if he's the kind of God that when you seek him, he actually responds. Maybe that's a kind of God that's worth following. And so tonight, we're going to look at the importance of an experience with God. We're going to look at a few verses in a book called Judges. And then we're going to jump to the second half of the Bible. And I just want to tell you a story from there. And then I want to share some personal stories of what God has done. I think that's really important because I think sometimes we can look at the Bible. And of course, the Bible is like the authoritative word of God, right? But we look at that and we say, okay, while this might be true, it happened a really long time ago. And I hope to today show you God is still doing many of the same things we read about him doing back in 
the Bible. And so what we're going to do is look in Judges 2 for a few minutes here and see the importance of an experience with God, a personal experience with God. Remember, it's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to experience him for ourselves. And so many of you guys, if you've been around church for a while, you know the setup to this story, okay? The setup is this, that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God sets them free. He parts the Red Sea. He does all these incredible miracles. Then the Israelites get far from God. They wander for all these decades, right? Then an entire generation dies, And then a new generation enters into the land that God promised them. And we're going to call that that generation that enters into that land that God promised them, we're going to call them Group A today, okay? And there's going to be a Group B in just a minute. But let's talk about Group A here for a second. It says this in Judges 2, verse 6. Now Joshua sent the people of Israel home, so each family went to take possession of the territory they had inherited. Now this is important, verse 7, you ready? The people served the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime, and throughout the lifetimes of the leaders who had, had outlived him and who had seen all the spectacular works the Lord had done for Israel. Now this verse is really important because you know what it tells us? It tells us that these are people who serve the Lord, but they also had experienced the Lord, right? That they had seen the spectacular works and their ancestors had seen the spectacular works and they had talked about these works and they had told their kids about these works and then their their kids experienced God for themselves. And I want to say to you guys tonight, one of my prayers for you, especially if you're younger here in this room tonight, is that your faith would not just be your parents' faith, but it would be your own faith. Like some of you guys grew up in Christian homes. I think about my kids, and Bryn, I don't want you to be able to preach about pools. I want you to be able to preach about Jesus, right? I want, you, I want it to be your own, though. I want it to be her relationship with God. I want her to experience Jesus. And that's what we see here. Our, these, the group A who has experienced God, and that experience with God drove them to live for God. Now we're going to talk about group B. Ready? It says, that whole generation had joined their ancestors in death. So, in other words, group A all died. So another generation grew up after them. Are you ready for this? They had no personal experience with the Lord or with what he had done for Israel. So this is group B now. And group B doesn't have the experience that group A had. And so now what's going to happen? How are they going to live? Look what it says in verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Okay, so group A saw the spectacular works of God and they lived for God. They had faith in God, they obeyed God, and they loved God. They weren't perfect, But those three things were true of them. And then group B shows up. They had no personal experience with God. And so they turned their back on God and they served the Baals. Well, who were the Baals? Well, Baal was a statue made of wood or gold that represented a God out there, a false God, a God that didn't even exist. And they worshipped him in different ways. Some worshipped him as the storm God or the sun God or the God of fertility. And they probably, that is why it says, and they served the Baals. Because they would worship Baal in different ways or different forms. And so here's a group of people who had no experience with God, and so they did not have faith in God. They did not obey God, and they did not love God. Are you seeing the importance of a personal experience with God? Are you seeing how vital it is that you and I don't just hear about God, but we experience him for ourselves? And that's been the heart, one of the heartbeats of our church for many years that we would experience God for ourselves. Maybe that's what's missing in your life right now. Maybe some of you guys would say, oh, maybe that's why I'm struggling so much in my faith in God. Or maybe that's why I'm struggling so much with my obedience to God or my love and passion for God. It's that I have never experienced God or that it's been so long 
since I experienced God. And so I think an experience with him is so incredibly vital. I just want to share a story with you now from the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, and then I want to share some of my own personal stories about what God has done. But Jesus one day was preaching by a lake, and there were some fishermen nearby, and Jesus had an agenda with these fishermen. You see, his plan was, as crazy as this sounds, was to take these fishermen and go change the world with them. Now, these guys didn't know that at the time. They literally just got back from a night of fishing, and they're cleaning their nets. Not like a great job, right? And what we know about these guys is that these fishermen were very likely poor. They were very likely rough around the edges. I don't know if you ever spent time with some fishermen, okay? I remember as a kid, my dad and I were putting our, hit my dad's boat into the water, and a fisherman came in. He'd been out fishing all night. And he just was not a very happy person and came out of the water and every other word was foul, okay? And he was saying words I never even heard. I think he was making stuff up, you know? And I'm just like a kid sitting there like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? And then he looks at my dad after that whole kind of exchange and says, uh, so I'm a fisherman. What do you do? My dad's like, I'm a pastor. And the guy was like, you know, was like oops, you know, wrong guy to say all that to. But you know, all right, maybe a generalization, but if you've ever watched any of those shows on, like, Discovery Channel or History, like, they bleep a lot out. That's all I'm saying on those fishing shows, okay? So these guys were very likely not only poor, but rough around the edges. And you know what else we know about these guys? Luke tells us in Acts that these guys were unschooled, ordinary men. Interesting. What is going to get their hearts? What's going to get their attention? What's going to make these rough around the edges, poor, unschooled, ordinary people suddenly want to have faith in somebody bigger than themselves, love someone bigger than than themselves, surrender their lives and obey someone bigger than themselves. Maybe that's something you can relate to, right? I mean, think about these fishermen. They probably went through a lot of difficulty, a lot of disappointment in life. They they didn't have all the best stuff. They didn't have all the, the respect of people around them. And maybe you might, maybe like they felt, like, who are we? Like, why would God let me experience him? I'm, I'm just, like, ordinary. I'm just unschooled, man. I mean, I mean, who am I? I mean, John Gill said this about these guys. He said, they had not been brought up at the feet of any of the doctors in any of the schools and universities of the Jews. They were not trained up in and conversant with the nice distinctions, subtle argumentations and decisions of the learned doctors and the interpretations of the law of Moses and the traditions of the elders. And so, I mean, these guys, you want to talk about ordinary, and that's maybe what some of you guys have felt like, right? Like, why would God let me experience him? I'm so ordinary like god uses really great gifted holy people and i'm none of those well here's a few fishermen that god wants to change the world with right oh man i'm too rough around the edges why would god let me experience him maybe you're here tonight you're not even a follower of jesus can i tell you that god loves to show himself to people who aren't followers of jesus God loves to reveal himself to people who are very, very far from him. In fact, that we're going to see, that's exactly what he does here. And so, back to the story here, the fishermen are cleaning their nets. One of these guys' names was Peter, and uh, he, it's very clear that they had been out all night and they caught nothing. And, and I just want to say that Peter's night of fishing equates my entire fishing career, okay? I've been fishing many times. I've never caught anything 
Not one fish. Some of my friends are like, yo, fishing's so much fun. It's so relaxing. And I laugh at you. It's not fun, right? It's horrific, okay? And so I have had horrible experiences, so I can totally relate to Peter's experience here. And I remember one night, my dad and I were out, and we, we were like, or it was, I guess it was during the day, and, and we're just, I mean, we're just sitting there, like, you know, things in the water and the whole deal. And I finally, I'm like, dad, can we, like, water ski or something? Can we just do something with movement and life? And so I can relate to Peter's frustration, but then, Jesus climbs into Peter's boat. If you love fishing, I love you. I'm sorry. Zach, I love you, man. So he climbs into the boat, right? And he begins to preach to the people on the shore. And then he looks at Peter, the professional fisherman. And he says, hey, let's push the boat out and let's catch some fish. And Peter's there going, um, like, I did that all night and this is what I do. And I didn't catch anything. In fact, I was talking with this ball pastor from this concert. He didn't catch anything either, right? And so now you want me to, oh, okay, all right, well, because you say so, and they push the boat out, and many of you guys know the story, right? Jesus says, all right, throw the nets in, and boom, the nets are filled. The boat starts to sink. They start to call for help. Now, the amazing thing isn't necessarily that the nets were full and the boat starts to sink. I mean, that's pretty great, but what's more amazing is what happens next. You see, what happens next is... After this experience with Jesus, what happens next is the disciples go, they sell all the fish, they make a ton of money, and they sail away into the sunset. No, that's not at all what happens, right? What happens next is this. Would you guys read with me in Luke chapter 5? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Think about that. An experience with God and what happens Peter goes from faithless to filled with faith. He goes from seeing a man named Jesus to calling him Lord. And he says, hey, I'm a sinful man. I don't even belong here. Do you guys see the power of an experience when it comes to your faith in God? Some of you guys walked into this room, you're like, man, I need faith in God. I need to be able to see him more. I need to be able to have more confidence in him. I'm telling you right now, an experience with God will give you more faith in God. It will ignite your faith in God. I'm talking about, you know, a few seconds, nets full, boat sinking, Peter goes, you are God. Maybe some of you here tonight, you need a you are God moment. You need a moment where you're able to say, oh man, he's shown up. He's made himself so incredibly real to me. Then he goes on, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Think about that, right? Because earlier I said, some of us in this room, man, we are struggling to obey God, right? And here we see Peter... And the rest of his friends, after experiencing God for like .0289 seconds, run their boats up the shore, drop their nets, and begin a life of obedience to Jesus. Just think about that. And it all happened because they experienced God. Without that experience with God, if Peter had said, Nah, God, you know, I've been out all night, didn't catch anything, catch you tomorrow, right? If they had missed out on that experience with God, would Peter have ever had faith in God? No. Would he have ever had obedience to God? No. Would he have ever began a three and a half year journey of doing life with Jesus and falling more in love with his Savior every day? No. Would have missed out on all that. But that momentary experience with Jesus changed 
everything. So do you need faith in God? Experiencing God will ignite that faith. Do you need some kind of a heart for obedience? Experiencing God will ignite that obedience. Do you need some kind of love? Just, just God, reignite my passion for you. I miss what I used to have for you. Experience with God will ignite, with God will ignite that love. Here's what I want you guys to see, and I just want to tell some stories. I'm going to give you a couple practical things and then tell some stories about what God's done. Here's what I want you to see tonight. Experiencing God ignites faith in God, obedience to God, and love for God. These are all things that I've seen so true in my own life and so many of you guys around. I see, you know, people come to church and and they're trying to learn more about God, and that's great, and they're getting some knowledge. But man, when you experience him for yourself, it's like somebody flips a switch, and your faith catapults, and your obedience becomes something that, wow, now I'm excited about honoring God, and my love and my passion for him begins to grow. And so, with all my heart, I believe that experiencing God ignites faith, obedience, and love. So let me ask you a couple questions. Have you experienced God for yourself? Has it been a while? What will you seek him for right now? What new thing? Push all those barriers out of the way that we brought up earlier. Disappointments, difficulties, age, age and faith, feeling too rough around the edges, feeling maybe too ordinary. Push all that aside. None of that matters. It's all about a new encounter with your Savior. So the question comes up, of course, if we want to experience God, what do we do? It's so simple. Guys, there have been books written, experiencing God, do this, do that. There are formulas out there. Say these words, say these prayers, do these things. It is so simple. If I want to experience God, I have to do the same thing I have to do if I want to experience you. I just got to be close to you. It's got to be near you, right? If I want to experience who you are, if I want to experience your sense of humor or your kindness or your cooking, I'm not going to do that with most of you, but if I want to do that, right? I just got to be near you. Like, there's no other way for me to experience you than to be near you. You could even say, oh, dog, you just go on social media. Nah, man, come on, 90% of that's fake anyway. We all know that, right? Let me get the perfect angle, then put the filter on it, and then I'll Photoshop the Eiffel Tower in behind me, right? I mean, come on, okay? Yeah, I'm on to you. You know who you are. No, I'm just kidding, right? If I want to know you and experience you, I've got to be near you. And so if you want to know and experience God, you have to be near him. There is no other way. And so we've got to be people who are praying. We've got to be people who are reading God's word. We've got to be people who are in this room together and soon to be another room together. You know that the church experts out there, the people who study churches and numbers and patterns and all this kind of craziness, they say that people just normally attend church twice a month now. Like, that's just kind of the norm. And I just have to say to that, man, I'm not okay with that. Because we need each other. And we're going to experience God together in ways we can't experience him apart. I've experienced God in this room more than I've experienced him outside this room. We need each other. And God shows up when we're together. So this isn't me coming down on you saying, what's wrong with you if you miss church? I miss church once in a while. I go on vacation. I miss it. Right? Okay. It happens. It's okay. But man, we've got to begin to say, I long to be near God so much that Sundays, man, I am with him and I'm with his people. And so we've got to be near God. Let me say it this way. People who experience God, people who are near God. It's just that simple. And so will you be somebody who places yourself near God? 
Let me just share a few stories about how I've experienced God because I think this takes it out of like, you know, 2,000 years ago and brings it into today. This is the place that I discovered that God speaks. And yes, he speaks through his word. And he will never speak to you in a way that violates his word or goes against his word. Right? If you think you're hearing from God and it doesn't line up with what the Bible says, you are not hearing from God. Right? But God does speak. And I'll never, never forget the first time that God put something on somebody's heart to pray for me. And I knew it was God. And I knew it because the person that prayed for me didn't know all those things about me. And yet they were all true. They were all exactly right. I remember, I'll never forget the first time God put on my heart to say something to somebody else and encourage somebody. And I didn't get up and say, I have a prophetic word from the Lord for you. No, I just very humbly and gently and with a lot of fear went over and said, hey, I think God just put something on my heart to encourage you with. And I remember just tears flowing down this lady's cheek. That's exactly what I needed. That's exactly what I needed to hear from God. God speaks, and I learned that here. This is the place I discovered that God heals. Now let me just, you know... If you're here, especially if you're not a Christian or not a follower of Jesus or you're newer to church, and I mean, this stuff can kind of weird you out, you know? And unfortunately, we have this thing called YouTube, and there's a lot of crazy Christians on it, okay? So I'm not talking about the crazy Christian stuff here. And the way I always say it is like this. There are $100 counterfeit bills out there. But if we were giving out $100 bills as you walked out, you'd take one tonight, right? You wouldn't let the counterfeit keep you from using what's real, and it's the same thing with God. Just because there's some crazy people out there that claim God did this or God did that or dropped some feathers and put some gold dust and whatever and fairy dust and we're flying around, I don't even know, right? It gets crazy out there, unfortunately. Just because that all exists, that does not mean that there's not also real things God does. And so just a couple of really cool things that I've, we've, we've seen God do. I mean, years ago, there was a lady who had a blood clot. She was scheduled to go in for surgery. And she went, uh, woke up the next morning and thing just shrunk. God just healed her. Uh, we had a lady who had TMJ, which is um, a really terrible condition in your jaw. And she was living on painkillers, could, couldn't hardly even eat, could hardly even open her mouth to eat. And we just one Sunday here, we prayed and man, she was healed and okay. And God, from that point on, had just touched her in such an awesome way that she didn't need the uh, continued medic- medication and the continued going to the doctors and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the coolest things I've seen God do is in the last, last, I don't know, I guess nine months. About nine or ten months ago, we started telling you about what was going on with Kelly, and she's in the hospital, and she's ended up in ICU. And I called our staff one day, and I called our elders one day, and it was really bad. And things were, like, literally at the point where we didn't know if outside of God she was going to live or die. And I called the staff in and the elders, and I said, hey, guys, can you just come pray? we got to seek God about this. we got to ask Jesus to do something awesome here. And so they came in, and, and, and I actually met them in the lobby, and I explained to them what was going on, and I, I started to explain symptoms. I started to say, you know, she's stuttering in her speech. She's slurring her words. She hasn't been out of bed in 13 days. She hasn't been able to keep food down in 13 days. She's been throwing up all day, every day. She's got aseptic meningitis, and the doctors are trying to figure out what's going on, and I'm just going through, and I'm getting emotional. Some of them are getting emotional, and we walk in the room, and I mean, she's looking frail and sick, and we prayed. And nothing crazy happened. The room didn't shake. Nothing wacky happened. We just prayed. And I walked the guys back out to the lobby, and when I walked back into the room, Kelly was out of the bed sitting up in her chair. And I was like, what 
And I almost chastised her. I was like, what are you doing up out of bed? And it was that moment that we prayed that was the turning point for Kelly. It was that moment of prayer. And she's still got a ways to go. And it's been a slow process of God coming through and showing up in her life. But that was a moment where we saw the hand of God so clearly coming in and healing. This is the place where I discovered that God provides. And I could tell you story after story about God's undeniable provision. And I know some of you guys have experienced it. Um, I know our church has experienced it. Our family has experienced it. Like back in uh, February when Kelly got sick, I mean, you guys rallied around us. And sort of like what, what I'm convicted to do is, is not really to ask people for money and stuff. You know, like when my family's going through something, like I'm not going to get up and say, hey, guys, we need a bunch of money. We have, like we, we ask God, and God knows how to provide, right? He's the one we ask. And so we were just praying, and you guys came together and just paid off Kelly's hospital bills and took care of us in such an unbelievable way. And then back in September, she started seeing a new doctor, and the doctor said, hey, I think there's something that's really going to help you. It's called hyperbaric treatments. And this is when you get into this, like, big spaceship-looking thing, and they, like, pump oxygen and, like, do all this kind of crazy stuff, and it's some pretty incredible technology, but... The bad part about it is that it wasn't covered by insurance, and it was $1,000 a week, and we were supposed to do it for eight weeks. And we didn't have $1,000 a week. I mean, we could have cut back on some of Landon's hair products, I guess. It might have helped us a little bit, but I mean, right? We just didn't have. And so we're like, what are we going to do? And I was kind of freaking out. And Kelly even said to me, if you tell that story, tell them you were freaking out, because I was kind of freaking out about it. And she just said, you know what, Doug? If this is supposed to happen, then God's going to provide for us. Next day go to the mailbox, and there's a check in the mailbox for $2,000 from a woman from Omaha, Nebraska. Nebraska, right? And this was a lady who found our church through a podcast and listens to our podcast. If you're listening, thank you. And she and Kelly became really great friends and have written. We've never met this lady, but around that time, she said, God told me to give you guys this toward some kind of a treatment for Kelly. A few weeks later, someone gave us $4,000. We didn't ask anybody for anything. A week later, someone gave us another $1,000. And a week later, a different way, another $1,000 came in. I don't know if you're good at math or not, but that's $8,000 that we needed to cover the treatment. And again, that's just one of the ways God comes through. And again, this has been misused and abused. We're not asking God for jets and Lamborghinis, and Right? It's needs. It's the things that God knows we need. That's the way he comes through. Lastly, this is the place I discovered that God heals relationships. This morning, a couple dedicated their baby, Steve and Stephanie. And they gave me permission to share this because a few weeks ago, we were trying to figure out when we were going to do this dedication. And so as we're writing back and forth about when we want to do it, Uh, Stephanie wrote this, and she gave you permission to share this. She said, I was just talking to Steve about how I would really love to do the dedication before we leave this building. This is where our family became whole again. Jolene, who's their daughter they dedicated, wouldn't be here if we had never walked through those doors. God is so good. That is the story of God taking a marriage that was falling apart and putting pieces back together. And it was here that I discovered that God heals relationships. Now we still go through hardships, right? I was just telling Anne-Marie earlier that um, my mom passed away five years ago yesterday, and we gathered as a family at the, the graveside and, you know, celebrated her life and just remembered and laughed and cried and prayed and 
It's hard, man. We, we go through hard stuff here. But that doesn't negate the fact that we serve a God that wants us to experience him. And so I hope tonight you're just hungry for new experiences with Jesus, new encounters with God. And, and let me say this. Don't miss the little ways we experience God, which are actually the big ways. What do I mean by that? Don't miss the little ways we experience God, which are actually the big ways. You see, I think sometimes we miss out on the fact that peace is a way we experience God. And it feels like something very little. But I'm telling you, peace is not something little. Just ask someone who doesn't have it. Peace is huge. Joy is huge. That's a way we experience God. And so don't miss out on those little ways. They're not little. They're actually really big ways. Maybe they're not, you know, blind eyes being opened, but man, there's nothing like having the peace and the joy that God gives us. Let me just give you a few tips and then we'll close up here. First thing I'd say is let God decide how you experience him. What do I mean by that? I think we should be very specific in how we pray. I am praying God will heal my wife. Absolutely, right? But at the same time, we've got to let God decide how we experience him. So in other words, sometimes we pray for this and God doesn't do this, so we get mad at God and we say, oh, see, I knew I wouldn't experience you, but he did this over here. And we miss out on this because we're focused on how angry we are at God because he didn't do this. And we've got to say, okay, God, I've got to just trust that you know what I need and you know how to lead me to the right experiences with you. I think experiencing God has to be in balance with everything else. I think that's where Christians get a little crazy is when it's not in balance with what the Bible says about experiencing God. and It's not in balance with other things like worshiping God and learning and connecting with others and serving others and all those other important things. And lastly, I would just say this. Don't get frustrated when you're reading the Bible and you see all these people having these huge experiences and you feel like, man, I'm not living a life anything like them. Just think about this for a second. We look at a guy like Moses, and we're like, see, he got to see the Red Sea part. He got to see all these incredible miracles, and then there's just me. And, I, man, I don't see anything. Can we just remember that when we're reading the Bible, we're reading the highlight reel of those guys' lives, right? So we forget that Moses sat on the backside of a desert tending sheep for 40 years and didn't see a thing, Right? And so we have to remember that we, we have Moses' life like smashed down into a book or two. And then we're like, oh man, look what God did through Moses. How great is that? And my life's nothing like that. What if at the end of your life, God smashed down all he did in your life into a book or two? That would stand up. And so don't forget that although maybe you're in a season where you're not seeing maybe what you want to see, you did last season or you will next season. And it's about zooming back out and seeing all that God has done over the course of your life. And so, man, if we'll see God, we'll begin to experience him. If we'll be near him, we will more and more begin to see him. And as we experience God, do you know what's going to happen? It's going to ignite our faith. It's going to ignite our obedience. And it's going to ignite our love. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I would encourage you in just a minute just to, just to pray with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's God who saves us, but this is a way to respond to him and begin to talk to God. And the amazing thing about God is, is the most beautiful thing he ever did was send Jesus to die on the cross for us and then rise back from the dead to remove our sins. And that's a historical event. I'd love to talk with you more about that if you're struggling to, to believe that. But this is the greatest evidence of God's love for you and me, and he wants us to experience him. And so if you want to put your trust in him, we'll give you that opportunity. But I hope tonight you're encouraged that experiencing God ignites faith in God, obedience to God, and love for God. Let's pray together. So God, we just humble ourselves before you tonight and desire 
a greater experience with you. We desire to be nearer to you, God. We desire to just enjoy you for all that you are. God, we desire to just see your hand at work in our lives in such awesome and powerful ways. And so, God, would you just come close and would you be with us? If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to pray for right now? What do you need to seek God for? What new way maybe would you say, God, I need to experience you. And so would you come through like this? Remember, we're going to let him decide how he's going to come through, right? But let's begin to pray about some very specific things in our lives. And if you're not a father of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him tonight, just begin this conversation with him and this relationship. And I would just encourage you to quietly pray something like this. Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for forgiving my sin. Thank you for bringing my heart to life in you tonight, God. Show me how real you are. Let me experience you. And I thank you for this gift of salvation that I could never earn in your name.